And so we'll continue with that line of thinking. We, we will think today about the concept of the fact that, that we want our, our children to know about attitude. Wouldn't it be great if every last one of us could say we have perfect attitudes all the time? Never, never out of balance, never gloomy, never angry, never hostile. Boy, you could just find us any time of any day and we are just displaying the right, righteous, godly attitude. Wouldn't that be great? It, this world will be a different place. Whew. But because of the know that I'm a problem, I have a problem with that. I know that's not me. I'm not, I'm not the kind of guy that has the right attitude all the time. I wish I did. Wish I'd listened to my father a few more, a few more times. Still wish I heeded his, his advice more. I was reminded just recently when the kids went to, uh, the older kids were at Horizons and some of the younger kids were at Mid-South and uh, some of the younger kids ran into a, a former student of my father's. We were interacting with each other. He had seen Jake at camp. And just some of the things he said about my dad made me realize, like being punched in the gut. Whew. I got a long, a long way to go. Got a lot of growing up to do to be like my dad. I wish I'd heeded more of his advice. And so whenever we read these lines here from Solomon to his children, it, it hits home. It makes a difference to me, and I hope it does to you too. Uh, Phil Robertson used to say, Happy, 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 right? We want to be happy. We want to, we want to display the kind of attitudes that are, that are good, that are cheerful. And in recent days, numerous articles have been written from the popular level like the New York Times all the way to like psychology journals. People are angry on a totally different level. It's way more widespread, it seems to be, than it used to be. Restaurants, boy, people have always been mean to wait staff, but the people tell us now it's on a whole other level. Restaurants, it's worse. Airlines, it's worse. On the road, it's worse. All these things, people are just not displaying the kind of attitude that they should. And additionally, feelings of hopelessness have become commonplace. Despair has, has crept into the lives of so many. And so we need to do some self-evaluation. We need to do some, some soul checking. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, that we're to test ourselves, examine ourselves, and this is one of those things. We need to do, have an attitude check. And if we need to have an attitude adjustment, then let it adjust it according to the scale that the Lord has given us. Amen? One of the things that Solomon makes so plain, one of the things that the Lord makes so plain here in the book of Proverbs is that our attitudes do not derive or should not be derived from our circumstances. Our attitude should be derived from our heart. For the Christian... We don't just passively respond to favorable or unfavorable circumstances. We are to see all things through the lens of a life with Jesus Christ. We are to be incensed when we see injustice. We are. We're to be sad when we see other people suffering. We are. So please don't misunderstand and think and don't walk out of this place today saying that I said or the Bible says if you ever find yourself mad or sad, you're not a Christian. That's not what the Bible says. But those things, anger, despair, those kinds of attitudes should not describe us, shouldn't define us. We're not to be known 
for things like anger. John 13, verse 35 says, the Jesus says we're to be known by the love we display. That's what we're to be known by, defined by. You'll have moments because you love where you're sad. You'll have moments because you love where you're angry. But just what typifies you and me as disciples of Jesus Christ should be love. Attitude that says, I seek to be one who sees you, hears you, uplifts you, helps you, and you do the same for me. King Solomon has been teaching his children about making choices. He said, and we've seen this over the last few weeks, Solomon says to his sons, you know, you can choose wisdom or you can choose foolishness. You can choose to fear the Lord or you can choose to ignore him. You can listen to my pleading, Solomon would say, or you can rebel against me. You've got a choice. You can choose to be trustworthy or deceptive. You can choose to be faithful or you can choose infidelity. That's a wicked sin, but you can choose it. You have the freedom to do so. You can choose fidelity or infidelity. You can choose drunkenness or sobriety. He says, I'm laying all these things out in front of you because you have the power to choose. And he says, I'm pleading with you to choose righteousness. I'm pleading with you to choose to fear and follow the Lord. I'm pleading with you to choose to be obedient. And then this time, this day, we want to talk about the fact that Solomon was pleading with his sons to choose the right attitude because I am here to tell you, you and I can choose the attitude we have. We can't choose our circumstances. We can't choose what happens around us. We can't choose what people do to us, but we can choose our responses. We can choose our attitude. Just two things I want to look at. We could probably pick a bunch, but for the sake of, of time, the sake of you know, just lasering in, pinpointing on some things, I just want to think about two attitudes that, that Solomon says here in Proverbs that he wanted his sons to embrace. And the first one's this. Solomon wanted his sons to choose the attitude of being cheerful. Being cheerful. He wanted them to be the kind of guys that smile. He wanted them to be the kind of guys that were known for, you know, lightheartedness. There's a time, the book of Ecclesiastes said, there's a time for everything. Time for being serious. Time to laugh. But Solomon wanted his boys to be those that were known as being cheerful. So let me share. Let's, let's be cheerful together for a minute, right? It's not normally my style to like tell jokes. I don't do that a lot. When we're here together, I feel like we've got a job to do and it's a time to be serious. But this morning, as I was thinking about being cheerful, I went to my boys and I said, all right, guys, give me a joke about social media. And they said, we don't follow you. You want to hear a construction joke? I'm not ready yet. Still working on it. See, that one didn't land. I should have said still working on it. One more and I'll be done. Is this why I don't tell jokes? One more. My teachers, when I was in school, used to tell me that I'd never amount to anything because I procrastinated so much. I said, just you wait. <laughs> to be cheerful is to be full of joy. To be cheerful is to be full of optimism. To be cheerful is to be the kind of person that can be counted on more times than not 
to look like this little girl. Reader's Digest used to tell us that laughter was the best medicine, but that was sort of a ripoff of what Proverbs tells us. Proverbs tells us that a cheerful heart is the best medicine. I want to go back to the passage that Tony read in chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 13. A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. Verse 14 kind of gives us the key. It's, it's consuming and bringing in and bringing in more knowledge and understanding who I am, who God is, what the world's about. It says, the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fool feeds on folly. And then 15, all the days of the afflicted, the one who cannot see the good, all the days of the afflicted are evil. There's never a good day, cheerful day for them. But the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. You see that? Even when the skies are gray. Even when not everybody is healthy. Even when not all relationships are perfect. Verse 15 says, the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Day in, day out, steady rolling, known as cheerful. And then there's this. Go over a couple of pages. Chapter 17, verse 22. A joyful heart, not laughter. You may not be laughing, but a joyful heart. That's good medicine. But a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Cheerfulness starts with the heart, not circumstances. A cheerful heart can transcend all sorts of painful external factors. We're not saying, as we've already established this, we're not saying that a Christian's never going to be sad. But we're talking about a general disposition, a common attitude. And Solomon was teaching his children that they, could, that they actually could cultivate cheerfulness. Solomon was telling them, you actually can learn to be more cheerful. You can. You can't just say, well, I wasn't born with that ability. No, Solomon was saying, listen to me, boys. I'm going to give you some divine, some godly wisdom that if you will take this in and cultivate it and think about it and implement it, you can be more cheerful. So let's think about some of these things because here's the process, so to speak, going through the book of Proverbs. Cheerfulness is about some of those things. It's about a better understanding of what it is that we truly put value on, okay? Cheerfulness is a product of what we value, we should find joy in doing what's right. We should find joy in doing what God loves and what God commands. Let me give you a couple examples. Go to chapter 10. Proverbs 10, 23. Now think about it. As we're going through this, we're thinking about what's the process that I can go through? What are some intentional things that I can do and think about to make me have a heart that is, on average, more cheerful? 10, 23. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom, remember in, the, in this book of Proverbs, the fool rebels against God, the wise submits to God. So when he talks about doing things that are foolish, he's saying be disobedient and rebellious. When he talks about doing things that are wise, he's saying submit to God, be obedient to God. Okay, one more time. Doing wrong is like a joke to the fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. Being righteous, submitting to God, is pleasure, brings pleasure, brings cheer. Go over to chapter 21. 21, verse 15. 
Listen to this. When justice is done, when justice is done, when someone is, is beaten down, oppressed, treated unfairly, and then picked up, when someone had, had something that's been wrong has been made right, it says when justice is done, it's a joy to the righteous, but it's terror to evildoers. In other words, when some people see justice being enacted, injustice being done away with, it brings them joy. Other people, when they see it, they hate it. And so he's saying to them, cultivate, think about the right things, the righteous things, godly things, and that'll bring joy. One last one, chapter 22, verse 8, 22, 8 and 9. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. But whoever has a bountiful or good eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. To share bread with the poor brings good feelings, good circumstances, a better situation. Being committed to the truth, living God's law, these kinds of things should bring us joy. It's stressful and it's draining to be living a life with guilt, always looking over our shoulder and wondering who's going to catch up to us because of what we've done. But genuine cheerfulness comes from valuing justice and by doing what's right, being committed to the truth and obeying God's law and practicing the wisdom of, of living out God's commands. Now, you may not have thought that, but Scripture actually teaches that if we will value that which is right, value that which is good, it will infuse cheer into our lives. Then there's this. Cheerfulness is also a product of, of encouragement. The things that we hear, the things that are said, the things that we say to others. Go to chapter 12. Proverbs 12. Look at verse 25. 12, 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad, lightens him. Then you go to chapter 15, 15, 23. To make an apt answer, to give a good word, is a joy to a man. And a word in season, oh, how good it is. Then verse 30. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart and good news refreshes the bones. Speaking good and kind words, speaking encouraging words helps both parties. That's what we've just read here in these verses. If I speak encouraging words to you, not only does it infuse joy and cheer into my heart, but it infuses joy and cheer into your heart. We're both helped by my encouragement. We're both helped when you encourage me. A good word is not going to remove all the problems. It's not going to magically you know, make all the storms go away, make all the pain go away. But a good word absolutely can inspire and give courage to someone who needs to make one more step and put one more foot in front of the other. So in other words, let me ask you this question. Ask yourself this right now. Do I derive joy in encouraging others? Am I willing to speak words of encouragement to others? Am I willing to listen to, now this is a big one. I think a lot of times whenever we go through Bible lessons like this, we say, you know, be encouraging, be encouraging, use positive words, but let's flip it around. Not only are you apt to and prone to speak words of encouragement to others, but how willing are you to listen to words of encouragement for others, from others? How often are you willing to take it to heart when somebody says something to you that is life-giving and kind how many times you put up a shield and just let it bounce off your heart and go away? 
Too many of us don't embrace it and accept it and take in and accept the words of encouragement from others. The Lord tells us here that cheerfulness is a product of encouragement, and so you need to listen. Cheerfulness also comes through the, the people who enrich our lives. Let me go through this quickly. We'll mention several of these here. Chapter 5, verse 18. The husband and wife relationship ought to be one that infuses cheer into your life. Chapter 23, 15 and 16. Chapter 23, 24 and 25. The parent-child relationship ought to infuse cheer. Too often it doesn't. But Solomon was saying to his children, boys, listen, please listen. And if you do, you will make me so happy. Chapter 24, verses 21 and 22. Chapter 27, verse 9 speaks of friendship and the way that friends can be a powerful, powerful tool to make us cheerful. But here's the key. We don't just use friends to, to suck out the cheer out of their lives and put it in their own. We have to be life-giving, cheer-giving friends also. We have to surround ourselves with life-giving, cheer-giving friends and then be life-giving, cheer-giving friends. Solomon told his children that we find joy through the people that we love. Now, he doesn't say it in just those exact words, but that's the sentiment he teaches all through it, and I love it. Let me say it one more time. The Bible teaches us that we should find joy in the people that we love. So, above all things, if there's some type of a void in my life and I'm missing this continual attitude of cheer, it may be that it's the Lord Himself who's not involved in my life. It may be Jesus the Christ Himself who's not with me and connected to me. Because He's there, but maybe I'm not connected to Him. Listen to what the, the psalmist says. Psalm 16 at verse 8. Psalm 16, 8. I have set the Lord always before me. He's at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. So listen to this. Because the psalmist says, because I know Jesus is right there with me. Here's what he says next. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. And even my flesh dwells secure. This is what Solomon was telling his sons in passages like Proverbs 1-7 and Proverbs 3-5-8 when he says, fear the Lord, trust the Lord. He was telling them that if you fear the Lord and trust the Lord with your whole heart, that's going to lead to a life of joy and cheer. Not a, not a perfect life with no pain, but a life of cheer. Do we walk with the Lord? It says in 1 John 1-7, we walk in the light as He is in the light. His blood continues to cleanse us. Are we walking with the Lord? Are we connected with Him for, for life and for joy? What it boils down, down to is this. The choices that we make. The wise person cultivates cheerfulness through good, godly, righteous choices. I could, I could share with you a number of things. Let's just look at a couple. Go to chapter 12, verse 20. 12, 20, the Bible says that deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace, those who choose to be peacemakers, have joy. The choices you make matter. Go back a few more, 10.28. 10.28. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The choices I make, do I choose to live a righteous, godly life? If so, he says, that brings joy. But willingly choosing rebellion brings destruction. One more. Go to chapter 6. Listen to the way he describes this in chapter 6, beginning at verse 20. 
6.20. My son, keep your father's commandment. Forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they'll lead you. When you lie down, they'll watch over you. When you awake, they'll talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Please choose righteousness. It will make a difference to you, he says. Our choices can bring us and those around us joy, or they can bring us frustration. Solomon wanted his children to cultivate an attitude of joy. And I'm telling you, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, this is God's will for every last one of us. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. In other words, choose to be cheerful. And again, I tell you, cultivate this spirit and this attitude of cheerfulness. This is the will of God for you. Solomon was desperate for his sons to not only be successful, but to be cheerful in spite of what else might be happening. Then there's this. The only other one we'll talk about. Solomon wanted his boys to be content. To be content means to be at peace and to be satisfied regardless of what else is going on. Content. Satisfied. Let's go to chapter 12. Got a several of these too. The Proverbs speaks of this over and over and over again. We'll just mention a few of them. Chapter 12, look at verse 12, 12, 12. Whoever is wicked, note this, covets the spoil of evildoers. But the root of the righteous bears fruit. The root of the righteous bears fruit is satisfied, drilled down, okay, at peace. The wicked just wants more and more and more. What you've got, I want. What you've got, I'm going to take. Chapter 16. Let's look at a couple of places here in 16. 16, 8. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Contentment with what you have. Then verse 19. It's better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. We could list a number of others, but let's just go to chapter 30. Twenty-five, sixteen, twenty-five, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty, but thirty, verse seven. This was the plea to God. Thirty, verse seven. Two things I ask of you, God: deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that's needful for me. Let me be what I have. He says, lest I be full and deny you and say, who's the Lord? Or I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. He said, God, help me to be content. Help me to be at peace with my lot and what you've given me. Because one of the things we so often don't realize, but the truth of what Scripture teaches again and again and again, is that contentment is liberating. Contentment is so freeing. We often think it's the next thing. Give me one more dollar, one more item, one more gadget, one more whatever, and then I'll be free. No, it's contentment that's liberating. It's contentment that's freeing because I'm set free from the tyranny of wanting one more thing. Discontent leads to, to theft and cheating and stress and anger. But listen to what the New Testament says. 
1 Timothy 6.6. 6. 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, let us be content. I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Because we're going to read about, in just short order, we're going to read about the secret to being content. Paul says, I've found it. I've, I've got the answer. I know how to be content. And you've read this over and over again. But I want you to think about it today in light of the things we've read from the book of Proverbs. Because these comments from the pen of Paul, as he's guided by the Holy Spirit, guess what? They're going to echo. They're going to say all the same things that Solomon said in Proverbs. The only difference being this. Solomon's, Solomon would say in a general kind of way, the key is the Lord. The key is fearing the Lord. Paul's going to be very, very specific. He's going to take all the things Solomon said and, and reiterate, echo those, but then say the key is Jesus. Jesus is the Lord. He's the one that, that Solomon had pointed us forward to before. Jesus is the Lord and the answer. Read these lines with me. Philippians chapter 4. Let's begin at verse 10. Philippians 4.10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Notice he says, I'm feeling a measure of cheer because you have shown concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. You wanted to help me, but there just wasn't the way and the time and the means. You didn't have the chance to help, but you wanted to. You were chomping at the bit to help. And then finally the opportunity arose and you jumped on it. And he says, and that has infused cheer into my life. Verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret. I know how to face plenty and hunger. I know how to face abundance and need. I can do all things through Him, through Christ Jesus the Lord. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. He says here in, in no uncertain terms, in these few verses, he echoes all the things that Solomon just said. The secret to contentment is being selfless. It's, it's seeing the needs of others and filling them. He said, you saw this need in me and you filled it and it helped me. And I'm going to try and fill a need for you. The secret to contentment is being selfless. Thinking less of yourself and more of others and helping them. That's the key. The key is also having the right perspective on material things because contentment comes from properly viewing the material. Money's just a means to an end. Money's not an end of itself. So we have to choose to use our blessings to encourage and build others up. Just like he said to them, you used your material blessings to encourage me and build me up. And so because of what you've done, I'm content, selfless, have the right perspective on money. But then there's also this, contentment comes when I come to know and love and follow, and this is the biggest thing, Jesus the Christ. True contentment is only found in Jesus. When I know Him, that should revolutionize everything. I should see and, and treat others differently when I know Jesus. With Jesus, I can be anywhere and I can be free of guilt. With Jesus, I can be anywhere and I can be full of peace. With Jesus, I can be anywhere and I can be full of hope. That means when I have little, 
or when I have everything. That means when I'm sick or when I'm healthy. That means when the people I love are sick or they're healthy. That means when everybody loves me or I'm all alone, I can be at peace and have hope and be content if I know I rest secure in the arms of Jesus. If I've been washed in the blood of Jesus the Christ, if I have been buried with Him and raised with Him and like Him raised to a brand new world, a brand new life, if I've been buried with Christ, forgiven of sin, and brought up with Christ to a new life, now in the kingdom of Jesus, not in the world of darkness anymore, if I've left those things behind and stand now in the light, I can be cheerful and content no matter what else is going on. Solomon said to his boys, life is going to be so hard. You're going to be hit with so many different things that are going to come at you from all angles, so many different temptations from Satan. But if you follow the Lord and fear Him, you can be cheerful and content through it all. And Paul said, I finally figured it out too. I know the answer. I know the secret. It's Jesus. The secret to a different attitude is our connection to Christ. If I've been washed in His blood and I walk with Him each day, I can be cheerful and content in spite of what else is happening. So ask yourself right here, right now, how is my attitude? How's my relationship with the Lord? Because that affects my attitude. Solomon would say, my son, don't forget these teachings. My son, give me your heart. My son, fear the Lord. And your life will be different. Your life will be better. Let me encourage you right here, right now. If you know you struggle because you're not connected to the Christ, let me call you to come to His feet. 